You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Thursday, September 15th, 2022, and you're locked into Crunch Time. Matt Miguez here, producer, co-host, main man James Mesh, sitting across from me. We've got a lot to get to today, and we are starting off this Thursday's edition of Crunch Time by dropping an absolute hammer. I am being joined by a four-time National Coach of the Year, two-time SEC Coach of the Year, and He guided the LSU Tigers to five appearances in Omaha, including a national championship, and he is a newly elected member into the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame. Former LSU head baseball coach Paul Maneri joins us on the game hotline. Coach, thanks for taking the time today. How are you? Oh, I'm great. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. So question Question number one, you know, I, I want to offer my congratulations on your induction into the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame. Well, thank you very much. It's a tremendous honor. It's, uh, it came as a, quite a surprise when I received the phone call, but honestly, it, I was very humbled by it because, uh, you know, I love the state of Louisiana and, you know, I love LSU and I love, you know, coaching baseball and I never really looked at it for any kind of honors. I just loved doing the work, and to be recognized this way was very humbling, and I'm, I'm tremendously honored. You, you know, you, you said the, the phone call caught you a little bit by surprise. What was that moment like when you got that phone call? Yeah, like I said, it, it, it just kind of numbed me. Uh, you know, when, when uh, I received the phone call and they had me on speakerphone, I guess with a bunch of members of the media that had voted me in, uh, yeah, it brought me to tears. I was I was just very moved that, you know, people would have uh, been impressed enough with the work that I did that would they bestow an honor like this on me. You know, after after the phone call, I went online to to look at the previous inductees. You know, through the years, and oh my gosh, it even made me even more uh, speechless because it's really a who's who in sports in the state of Louisiana over the last half century or more and to be thought of in the same way that those others are thought of in in some small way was just unbelievably gratifying you know i just i'm very proud of it um i don't always feel worthy of these these accolades that are bestowed upon me because really as a coach you know you know you never threw a ball or hit a ball or ran the bases or (laughs) caught a ball uh you you get judged by the efforts of a bunch of other people you know it's 18 to 22 year olds and you know i guess what i did do well in my career was select the right players and and put them in the right spots and let them do their thing because the reason i get accolades now at the end of my career is because of the efforts of all those young men that i had throughout the years and i'm really proud of what they did and i'm proud of the success that we did have Coach, you spent 38 seasons at four different programs, including Air Force, Notre Dame, and you spent 14 seasons here at LSU. How do you describe you know, your, your coaching career looking back at it? Well, I'm very proud of it. You know, when I was a young boy, I mean, 13, 14 years old, I was the son of a, of a really outstanding college coach down in Miami, Florida. And I saw the influence that my father had on young people's lives 
And for me, it was it, it just was something naturally that I wanted to follow in his footsteps. I went to him when I was like 14 years old and said, Pop, I, I know what I want to do with the rest of my life. If I can't play in the major leagues, I want to be a college baseball coach like you and impact young people's lives and try to teach them what it takes to be successful in life. And that was always my guiding light, regardless of whether I was at St. Thomas University or the Air Force Academy or Notre Dame or LSU. My vision of coaching was always the same thing, you know, and that was to help young people grow and to, to, you know, teach them how to be successful today on a baseball field. But the lessons that they would learn would carry them through life. And, you know, listen, I, I wanted to win the games and I championships. I don't make any apologies for that. I think when you work hard at something, the American way is to try to win and to to have success. And plus, you know, you want to represent the institution that you that pays your your paycheck, you know, and you want to you want to make the fans happy, and you want to keep your job, and you, you know you can't impact young people's lives if you don't win enough to keep your job. So, um, you know, we fortunately you know picked the right kids through the years and had a lot of success. We won a national championship. We went to Omaha actually five times with LSU, one time with Notre Dame. But um, you know, I spent the last decade or so chasing that second one, and we you know we came close a little you know, a few times, but just couldn't quite, you know, finish the job. And, you know, it's amazing, this profession, really, because, you know, when you take a step back and you realize, you know, how many, how few people really in their careers had the same accomplishments that you had, but yet you don't feel it that way. You know, you look at it and you say, man, we should have won here. We should have won this year. And it's just never enough. You know, you, you just feel like you could always have done more, but those feelings don't last too long. You know, I just feel very proud of not just the success that we had in winning games or championships, but just like I said, that the, the product of the kids, the type of, you know, young men that went out into society and have been successful and been leaders. And uh, I think they're contributing an awful lot to our communities now. And that's, that's the thing that I'm most proud about. Coach, you know, you talked about going to Omaha six times, one with Notre Dame, five with LSU, including that national title in 2009. You know, everybody looks at Omaha as, you know, kind of like an experience for for these young men and even for the coaches. What was your favorite part about the whole experience of going to Omaha? Well, clearly getting that last out against Texas in 2009, that was the the very best moment, of course. you know, when you win a national championship, you know, for that moment in time, you, you know that your team is the best team in the country. And there's not a lot of people that can ever say that, that they coached a team that was regarded as the best in the country. And uh, so, you know, everything pales in comparison to that. But, you know, the first time I took a team from Notre Dame, you know, getting there was an amazing experience. You know, you looked around, it was like being in Disney World, you know, with you know, the the excitement and the fans and everything else. But every time I went with LSU, we we expected to win when we got there. And, um, you know, unfortunately, out of the five trips, we only left with one, you know, time where we, we brought the trophy home with us. But, you know, the sad thing for me is I knew how much it took just to get to Omaha. You know, the the, the amazing games – getting us there the experiences of the entire year were awesome but people including me the players and obviously the fans and the media they 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 only seem to remember the very ending 
You know, like in 2017, we lose in the finals two very close, hard-fought games to Florida. Everybody forgets that we beat Oregon State twice. They were 56-4 and when we were playing them. They were on a 25-game winning streak, and we beat them two days in a row. And, you know, that just kind of gets pushed to the side because we didn't win the very last games against Florida. And and I feel the same way. You know, I feel like it was an opportunity lost. Um, but it's kind of sad in a way, too, because you know how much it took just to get there to that moment. And unfortunately, we didn't take advantage of it at the very end. But, you know, you're just so proud of all the players that, that got an opportunity to play in Omaha experience, you know, playing against the best teams in the country. One time we were able to leave with it. Those players obviously have a, a separate, different feeling than the other ones that, that didn't get to win it. But I'm proud of all the players that played for us at LSU that were a part of the building of the program. You know, um, after Skip retired, there was a little bit of a lull, and I think we got the program back to being a national contender year in and year out. I think we were a national seed like 11 times out of the 14 years or something like that, which is something I was very proud about. I just wish we could have won another one or two national championships. Yeah, no no question about it. Chatting with former LSU head coach Paul Maneri. You talked about Skip Bertman. You know, it was well documented that, that you and Skip had a close relationship during your time in Baton Rouge. What did you learn from him throughout your career that you implemented into the way you coached? Well, you know, it's funny because um, when I was uh, contacted by LSU about the job, I was a coach at Notre Dame at the time, and it, the people that I confided in, you know, that he had reached out to me and I was contemplating, you know, whether or not to do this, several of them told me, you, oh, you don't want to go to LSU. You don't want to go to LSU because Skip has proprietorship over the program and he's not going to let you be the coach and the shadow is going to be so big you know, that you're not going to enjoy it. And they didn't, they didn't know me, you know, and they didn't really know Skip either because, for me, I, I embraced the idea of Skip being here. To me, it wasn't a threat. To me, it was a great opportunity to learn from the master, and I knew that Skip's legacy was at stake a little bit with regard to baseball because, you know, the first hire didn't work out as well as he would have hoped that it would have, and you know, now, you know, as the athletic director, he's, he's hiring another baseball coach and, you know, we got to win, you know, we got, I wanted to make Skip look good with this hire. So, you know, Skip was never like pushy. He was never overboard with me. I, I used to go to him and ask him for his opinion about things. And certainly he was willing to give it. And there were several things that I implemented, you know, that Skip worked with me about. And I, you know, I don't really want to get into specifics, but you know, it was it was very enlightening to me when he would share different knowledge. Remember, I didn't coach under Skip, and I didn't play for Skip. So I, I, even though I knew Skip well from our days in Miami when he was a high school coach and then were at the University of Miami, and I grew up in Miami, the son of a college coach, so I knew Skip already. I didn't know everything the way that he did it. So I couldn't imitate him. I couldn't emulate him. Because I, I didn't know how he did it, you know. And I had had 25 years of experience before I came to LSU. And we had had success at Notre Dame. So I didn't really need to reinvent the wheel. And Skip was very supportive of me. And even though some of the things I did were probably different than the way he would have done them, you know, he, he very much supported me at every turn. And 
know, yesterday I had lunch with him, and we we you know, reminisced about a lot of things in my early time here at LSU when he was the athletic director, and even after that, you know, the input that he would give me. So I just felt very blessed to have a mentor like Skip around, and 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 he was, I think, my biggest fan. Coach, what did it? What does it mean now for you? You know, fourteen years at LSU. You've put a lot of, of players in the MLB. What does it mean for you to watch guys that you've coached, like Alex Bregman, Aaron Nola, DJ LeMayhew, so on and so forth, have success in the MLB? Well, obviously I'm very proud of all of those guys. Um, I think we've had 25 former players that played for me at LSU uh, end up getting to the major leagues. And some of them are some of the very best players in the major leagues. So obviously I have a great deal of pride in watching them do what they're doing. And I I feel very proud of the fact that maybe their time at LSU helped develop them, you know, emotionally, mentally, physically, experience-wise, that maybe all that together helped them get to the big leagues or expedited them getting to the big leagues. And I think if you ask most of them, they will tell you that they wouldn't have traded their experience at LSU. I wanted their experience while they were in college to be the greatest experience of their life. And the feedback that I get from them is very positive. So I, I think we had a very big impact on them. So when, they, when they're playing and they're you know, displaying themselves and they're acting with such class and they do things in their community, you know, these are things that we tried to work with them on while they were here to, to make them even more than just a ball player. So I'm extremely proud of them. But, but let me also say this. I, I'm as proud of the guys that didn't make it to the major leagues that maybe had a short minor league career but went off into private business or have become teachers or coaches or you know lawyers or whatever they're doing whatever walk of life they're contributing in a very positive way to the state of Louisiana and to their specific little communities and you know when they when they are when people find out that they played baseball at LSU then you know they're they're flag bearers for us, and I, I want them to represent us well. And I'm really proud of, of what they all have become in their post-LSU days. Now, Coach, can you talk about your playing days a little bit? You had spent one season <laughs> with LSU and then a couple of seasons at UNO, as well as you played That's for your correct. dad. Well, you know, when I was coming out of high school, which was way back in 1975, Recruiting in college baseball was not anything like it is nowadays, where players have such great exposure and there's national recruiting. You know, when I was coming out of high school, you were hoping you were good enough to play for the local college team or one of the junior colleges. So growing up, my dream was only to play for my father at Miami-Dade Community College. Uh, He was a legendary junior college coach, and I hoped that I was good enough to play for him someday. And I I improved enough. I was a good enough player in high school. I played quarterback for a football team. So I had a little bit of athletic ability, and I thought I'd be good enough to play for my father. Well, then in my junior year, LSU came down to Miami to play the University of Miami in a series, and they played my father's team in an exhibition game before on Thursday night, you know, before the weekend series with the University of Miami started. And I met the coach, and he told me he'd like me to come up for, to visit LSU in the fall. And I was really flattered about that. And I went up and visited in the fall of my senior year. And, you know, how could you not fall in love with LSU's campus and just the whole ambiance of, you know, LSU football and everything else. And and um, I decided to forego playing for my father and came to LSU. 
and I loved it here. In fact, you know, I met my future wife here as a freshman and and uh, made great friends, enjoyed the program and everything else, but the, the heartstrings were tugging on me, and I needed to go back to Miami, play for my father, because if I hadn't gone back in my sophomore year, I would have lost that opportunity forever, which was my lifetime dream. And um, so I did that. Well, after my sophomore year, my eligibility was up at the junior college, so I needed to find another school. And uh, just kind of by the grace of God, I, I stumbled into the University of New Orleans and met the coach there, Ron Maestri. I was up visiting my girlfriend in New Orleans, and I went out and met uh, Ron Maestri. It was a prearranged meeting. Man, I fell in love with the guy, you know, and he became, a, a, you know, not only a great coach for me in, in my junior and senior years, but a great friend and a great mentor for me in coaching. And it's a relationship that I cherish, you know, to this day. I spent a lot of time with Mace, and uh, he's he was really the first baseball legend of a college baseball coach even before Skip got here. And uh, so, you know, everything worked out great. Louisiana is my second home. You know, now it's my, my true home. I grew up in Miami, but, but now Louisiana is my home for the rest of my life. All four of my children ended up meeting their spouses here in Louisiana. So coming full cycle, you know, for full circle, from being here as a player, as a freshman in college, to coming back and finishing my coaching career at LSU, you know, was really appropriate, I guess, because I love I love Louisiana. It's had a huge impact on my family, and it's, you know, it's my home, and I'll be here forever. Coach, lastly, you know, being here in Lafayette, Louisiana, we cover the Louisiana Raging Cajuns as well as the LSU Tigers. Talk to me about your relationship with the, the late, great Tony Robichaux and, and his impact on baseball in this area. Well, I'm very proud and, and grateful of my relationship with Tony. You know, when I came here as the coach at LSU, uh, 2007 was my first season. You know, the two schools were not playing each other. There had been an issue in a, in a regional game, and, um, you know, the schools didn't play for, a, you know, a couple of years, two or three years, as I recall. And when I got here, I, I reached out to Tony and extended an olive branch, basically. And I said, Tony, I think it's, you know, I wasn't here when the things happened between the two teams. And I think it's ridiculous that these two schools are not playing each other. You know, you have a phenomenal program at UL, and I want to have a great program at LSU, and there's great history in the program. I said, we, sh- we really should play each other. And, you know, if, if, if we both agree that we're going to do it with good, with good sportsmanship and show respect for each other, there's no reason why we can't have some very good spirited games, you know, with class, you know, and, and showing good sportsmanship. And Tony is such a great person, you know, a very, you know, not just a great coach, but a really great person. And he agreed. And so we started playing again. And, and you know, they play, the LSU plays UL every year now. We've been over to Lafayette many times when I was the coach at LSU. And, you know, there was never, ever any other incidents. It was always the hot, most, you know, greatest respect for each other. I love Tony. I thought he was a tremendous human being and a great mentor of men, molder of men. And, um, you know, it was just, I was as sad as anybody when, when, you know, he passed, you know, so unexpectedly. And it and it created a real void in my life, you know, because I I consider Tony a friend, and um, you know I'm just grateful I got to know him for the time that I did, and that we resurrected the 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 series between the two schools, and um, you know I'm sure all the players that 
that played for Tony miss him dearly, and you know, we'll, but we'll always remember the impact that he had on their lives. Former LSU head baseball coach and one of the newest members of the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame, Mr. Paul Maneri, joining us on the hotline. Coach, really appreciate you taking the time. You were more than generous with the time that you gave, and uh, we appreciate the conversation. Well, I enjoyed talking with you, and uh, thank you again for, for having me on your show. There he goes, head coach Paul Maneri. Guys, head over to the Cadiana Bar and Grill, 327 Iberia Street in Youngsville this Saturday and hang with the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Hannah Five Names will be there from noon to one, giving away tickets to both Raging Cajuns football and LSU football. Swing by to register, hang with Hannah, spin the prize wheel, and you can score a pair of tickets to either a Raging Cajuns game or an LSU game. This Saturday from noon to one at Acadiana Bar and Grill. We'll take a timeout right here on Crunch Time. And when we return, we'll open the hotline and we'll get you set for today's show right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The third chapter of the trilogy is here. Canelo Alvarez and Gennady Golovkin return to the ring this Saturday with the undisputed super middleweight championship on the line. And FanDuel Sportsbook is giving new customers a no-sweat first bet. Right now, new customers can get up to $1,000 back in free bets if your first bet doesn't win. Just sign up using promo code KLWB. Bet on who will win, knockouts, when the fight will end, and so much more. I'm going to have to take Alvarez to take down Golovkin this Saturday night. So don't miss out on your chance for a no-sweat first bet when Canelo Alvarez takes on Triple G. Just sign up using promo code KLWB. That's up to $1,000 back in free bets if your first bet doesn't win, exclusively on the FanDuel app. You must be 21 and older and present in Louisiana and permitted parishes only. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions do apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. And if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-877-770-STOP. May stop that! Stop that gambling problem! Crunch time, Matt Miguez, James Mesh, 28 minutes after the hour here on your Thursday afternoon. Poll question of the day, who wins tonight's Thursday night football game? It's going to be a good one. The Chiefs and the Chargers. Um, <coughs> so we've got a, a litany of, of different choices. Uh, Daniel Green says the Chargers. William Bear says the Chiefs. Willis Bork says Chiefs by 10. Matt Reed says Chiefs, but the Chargers defense will have a great game. I don't think it's going to be high scoring, maybe 22 to 20. These offenses only scoring three touchdowns? Well, if you look at last week, Ooh. Chargers beat the Raiders 24-19. So I don't think he's I don't I don't think he's crazy for saying that. Chad Stelly says Chiefs by 17. Maybe. Maybe, maybe. but I don't know. I don't know about those see, odds. Because you see, the Chargers, as talented as they are, the the thing that I've noticed about the Chargers, especially with Justin Herbert as their quarterback, it's very inconsistent. I was gonna say it's very high and low. One game, you know, they look. Oh, you know, they might contend for a Super Bowl, and then the very next Sunday, you look at them and go, they don't even deserve a playoff spot. Like it, it's very wishy washy with them. So, if the Chiefs are on, could it be a seven? Absolutely. 
I think the Chiefs could run away with that game, no question. Uh, Brian Guidry says it's a great question. I feel like it's going to come down to the last drive. Very well could. Here's here's the thing that may affect the game a whole bunch. Harrison Butker's out. Yeah. So either do you trust Justin Reed with all your field goals and extra points, or do you see the Chiefs go for it more often and potentially go for two more often, which could either accelerate the score to where they could win by 17 plus or does it end up being a lot closer of a game where it's a 22 20 where the chargers end up winning the spread or even actually win the game yeah i don't know that that's gonna be interesting you know these games early in the year where these teams are still trying to you know figure out where they're at as a team could it, things could get interesting tonight. Because, again, it could be one of those things where the Chiefs run away with it. It could be a very close game, and the Chargers could run away with it. I don't know. It'll be fun. Thursday Night Football on Amazon Prime. But what you really should do, obviously, you know you're, we know you're going to watch the game. However, when you watch the game, mute your TV. And flip it to 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. And you can hear the national radio broadcast of the Chiefs and Chargers right here on this great station. High school football. We've talked about it all season, all, you know, the last month or so. You know, we do, we do a lot of high school football coverage here in Acadiana. Delta Media will be your home for thrilling high school football tonight. Acadiana takes on Nish on MeTV 97.7. Pre-game begins at 6.30 with kickoff at 7. And the St. Landry Parish game of the week, meanwhile, will feature the Port Berry Red Devils hosting the Opelousas Catholic Vikings on Newstalk 98.5. Pre-game begins at 6.45. Make sure to download each station's free mobile apps to listen to either game. And remember, the Delta Media is your home for Thursday and Friday night football. We'll take a time out right here, and when we return, we'll be joined by Brendan Moore to discuss week three of college football. So don't go anywhere. That conversation is next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana's sports station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You're listening to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Slings it far side. Stingley steps inside the receiver and picks it off. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. A shot to left field. Going back on it's Gordon. He'll look up at the corner. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. If you're looking for somewhere to get dressed up for homecoming, look no further than suit up. Fashion tuxedos, suits for all occasions, wedding party specials, sports coats, shoes, socks, you name it, suit ups got it. Right now they're running a great sale, 50% off of shoes. They're also running a suit promotion, two for three fifty on their Facebook page. They've got three locations on Ambassador Caffrey and Lafayette, New Iberia, and Lake Charles across from the Preon Lake Mall. Suit up is definitely going to hook you up with what you need for Mardi Gras balls, homecoming, prom, whatever it may be. They remind you to get measured because it makes you feel important. They provide professional service, and they're going to get it right every time. 
Once again, suit up. Ambassador Caffrey, New Iberia, and Lake Charles. And when you go, tell them that Miguez and Mesh sent you. Crunch time, 38 minutes after the hour here on this Thursday. We're joined by Brendan Moore of the Sideline Sports Network. Brendan, thanks for taking the time, man. How are you? Good. How are you, Matt? Doing well, doing well. Give me your thoughts. You know, we're walking into week three now, two weeks down, and the first two weeks have really given some some great entertainment from, you know, all aspects. Give me your thoughts of the first two weeks of the college football season. I mean, week two was just upset central. I mean, we had Georgia Southern beating Nebraska. I mean, I was not expecting Scott Frost to be fired three games into the year. That was pretty shocking to see. If you would have told me that at the before the season started, I would have been, I mean, I wouldn't have believed you. Uh, I mean, App State being Texas A&M, a couple other upsets throughout week one, week two. So, yeah, it's just been crazy, and college football always delivers. So, you know, you touched on A&M losing to App. You touched on Notre Dame losing to Marshall. Looking at both of those teams, you know, how do these losses affect their playoff chances? I mean, Notre Dame, they already have two losses. They're done. They don't have a shot at all. We, there's never been a two-loss two, two loss team in the in a 14 playoff. So Notre Dame's done after that loss to Ohio State. It was a hard-fought game that Ohio State obviously came out on top. But the Marshall game just cemented that. They're not going to have a shot at the playoff. They're done. Obviously, they can still make a New Year's Six if they go on a run here. But just looking, there's a lack of explosivity on offense for Notre Dame. That's what's concerning to me. And you're not beating a lot of those teams on the schedule if you don't have weapons on the outside. You're not beating Clemson. You're not beating USC. So to me, Notre Dame, max, I see seven or eight wins this season. And they could be even less. They might not even make a bowl game if they don't get it together. Uh, you mentioned A&M. Obviously, they, they're going to have to win out to make the playoffs. And tough SEC road ahead. They got Bama. They got Arkansas, who's looked really good. They've got LSU. They've got, I mean, Ole Miss, Mississippi State. So many good SEC teams this year. So they're going to have a tough road. I don't see them getting through the rest of the schedule undefeated. So to me, I don't think any one of those two teams are going to be in the playoff race come November and December. Looking at the first two weeks of the season, who's really you know impressed you and caught you by surprise thus far? I think Arkansas, because they've probably faced the toughest schedule through two games up to this point. I wasn't totally shocked that they're 2-0, and but I've been impressed with what Sam Pittman's doing at Arkansas there. I had him ranked preseason, I believe, in the top 10. I think I have him at 6 now, right outside my top 5. The secondary got a little exposed against Cincinnati and even South Carolina. Spencer Rattler had a, a decent day throwing the ball uh, in, in Week 2, but they have weapons on the outside. I like K.J. Jefferson. Pittman's got his team rolling, and I mean, once the snowball starts going down the hill, it's hard to stop. And then, contrary to that, maybe a, a team that's been disappointing. We mentioned A&M. We mentioned Notre Dame. I'll try to go somewhere else. But, man, it's tough. I mean, ooh, disappointing. I've been a little bit disappointed with Ole Miss, I'm going to be honest. I thought offense would be much better than they have been through two games. I think highly of Lane Kiffin. They picked up a lot of transfers. I mean, they got their first Power 5 test coming up against Georgia Tech. Obviously not a great Power 5 team, but they're better than Troy and uh, Central Arkansas, who they just played. So Ole Miss, I need to see more out of Ole Miss before I'm convinced that they'll be competing at the top of the SEC West. 
Chat with Brendan Moore of the Sideline Sports Network here on Crunch Time. All right, Brendan, I've got eight games from this Saturday that I am I am looking at, and uh, I want to get your thoughts on these matchups. First, Georgia-South Carolina, Georgia defending national champion, and then South Carolina. You know, pe- people were down on South Carolina, but Spencer Radler, quarterback, in Shane Beamer's offense, something that he's comfortable in. What are your thoughts on this matchup? This is just such a mismatch for South Carolina. I mean, offensive line is a concern for them. Georgia, their strength is along the trenches. So I like Georgia big here. I think they put up 40, 45 points-ish. I think Stetson Bennett's going to have a great day. I don't really see a scenario where South Carolina covers this 24.5-point spread here. So I like the dogs by a lot. They've been the best team in the country so far. haven't shown any major weaknesses on that on the roster anywhere along the field. So I like Georgia a lot. Yeah, I've got Georgia winning big in this one too. Penn State and Auburn, you know, Penn State, James Franklin always puts well-coached teams together, still has Sean Clifford at quarterback. And then Auburn, you know, Brian Harson kind of went into this season on the hot seat a little bit, but they've done some pretty good things through, through two games. What are your thoughts on this matchup? I mean – I just want to address something first. I'm tired of the Sean Clifford disrespect. I'm going to put that out there right now. Yeah, he's not the shiny new toy like Drew Aller is at Penn State, who's their uh, five-star freshman quarterback. But Clifford is good enough to win this team games. He's tougher than a two-hour stick, as Jim Jim Ross would say. So I like Penn State. I think they have the advantage here. The only place where Auburn, I think, could wreak some havoc is along that defensive line because Penn State's offensive line has been a weakness for a, for, a, for a bit now. So if this was at a neutral site, I'd take Penn State. I think they're the better team, but crazy things happen at Jordan-Hare Stadium. This, to me, smells just – it smells like an Auburn win. For some reason, I can't put my finger on it. It just smells like an Auburn win to me. My spidey senses are tingling with this one. Yeah, there, there's something there's something magical about Jordan Hare Stadium. You're definitely not wrong there. Uh, I, I'm I'm gonna agree with you. I've got Auburn in a, in a close one. I think they do just enough down the stretch to pull that game out. Let's talk. You know, th- this week's college game day is in Boone, North Carolina. Let's talk Troy and App State, two Sun Belt schools, a rivalry that's developed over the years. App State. You know, we just talked about it. They just took down Texas A&M. What are your thoughts on this game? I mean, shout out App State. I mean, they kind of just stole college game day from A&M because a lot of people were thinking Miami A&M, that'd be a top 15 matchup this week. App State goes into college station, college station beats A&M. Game day's coming to Boone, so uh, it's great for them, great for the students and the fans. I like App State in this game. I'm worried about the defense. I mean, they gave up 63 points in North Carolina. I know North Carolina has a good offense, but that's hard. To, I mean, that's not acceptable in my opinion. But Troy, they were better than I expected against Ole Miss in that opening game. I like their quarterback, Gunnar Watson. I think it'll be competitive. I like Troy to cover the spread. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. But I like App State to pull it out by probably around 10. LSU, Mississippi State, the SEC opener, you know, Death Valley just cranks up to another level when it's an SEC matchup. And Will Rogers is going to come in and sling the ball around through that South Louisiana humidity. What are your thoughts on this game? 
Yeah, I mean, I like Mississippi State for their first two games, beating Memphis, Arizona. They didn't play any grilled cupcakes, so they're somewhat battle-tested, but obviously it's going to be the toughest game uh, so far this season. Last time these two teams met in Death Valley, LSU played a lot of man defense against against uh, Mike Leach's air raid. They got exposed a lot. To me, the key in this game is Mississippi State's run game. We know Mississippi State's going to throw the ball around a lot. They got a heck of a quarterback in Will Rogers. I mean, he's pretty much NFL ready right now. The dude's a stud. But to me, if Mississippi State, if Mike Leach isn't stubborn enough, and if he runs the ball, maybe 30 carries, 35 carries, he's still going to be passing in a majority of the plays. If he can run the ball a little bit more than he did against Arizona, I think it'll force LSU to stack the box a little bit. You'll get more man-to-man coverage. I really like Mississippi State in this game to win and cover. Staying here in Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns holding on to the nation's longest active win streak of 15 games. They'll travel over to Houston to play Rice this Saturday. You know, Rice has struggled as of late. They got a big win last week against McNeese in in blowout fashion. You know, can the Cajuns keep that win streak going? Oh, for sure they can. I think, I mean, they're 12.5, 11.5 point favorites, so obviously – favorites in Vegas. I mean, I like what they did second half against Eastern Michigan. I mean, they outscored them like 45-7 to seven in that second half, got off to a little bit of a slow start. But once uh, Ben Wooldridge played well in that second half there, so I like Louisiana to win. I don't think Rice is very good. They got just destroyed by USC. I know that they beat McNeese, but everyone beats McNeese. So I like Louisiana big in this game. Let's talk about A&M and Miami. You know, we, we touched on it a little bit a second ago. Game day was pretty close to going there. It, it's really – and obviously both teams are very talented on the field. But the way I'm looking at this game is it's the battle of two programs that have an infinite amount of money. Because for, for some reason it appears that both of them do. Uh, do you like the Hurricanes or the Aggies in this one? This to me is the toughest game to pick on on the schedule this week because A&M they're gonna play motivated I think I mean the word you, after that bad loss you can't come out and play flat I mean Jimbo Jimbo Fisher's I mean there's a lot of pressure on him right now after that loss I don't want to say there's nothing to lose but there's a ton to gain here in this game for A&M I think they'll come out play motivated however I think the spread is off I like Miami this year Tyler Van Dyke's head of a quarterback I think offensive line play has improved with under uh, Mario Cristobal. I know they haven't really played a uh, Power Five team yet. So this is this will be their first real test. We'll know what Miami's made of after this game. I like Miami to win outright. If you were to put the gun to my head right now, I'd pick Miami outright. But I don't have a strong feeling about this game. Two more for you: USC. You know Lincoln Riley, Caleb Williams. They've been pretty impressive in, in their first two games. Fresno State kind of that dark horse to maybe make a G5 run this season. What are your thoughts on this game? I like Fresno State a lot this year. I think I had them preseason as my uh, group of five team to make a New Year's Six Bowl. Who knows now? They lost to Oregon State at home. so They are, they already have one loss or one one but this is still a very dangerous team for USC to play at home. I, I mean, Jake Hayner is just an absolute baller. He's going to throw the ball around a lot. Well, the USC uh, caused a lot of turnovers against Stanford and against Rice. That defense needs to continue doing that. Jake Hayner, just play within himself. Don't put the ball in harm's way a lot. I think USC wins this game. 
I would take the under here. The, uh, the over-under is at like 74, which is crazy. I think USC wins this game probably by 7 to 10 points, somewhere around that range. Close game out there in California. I like it. And lastly, you know, you know, I saved this one for last. Give me your thoughts on Sparty and Washington Saturday night. Yeah, I think Michigan State realistically is the better team. I think they should be favored. The reason why Washington's favored, they're favored by three and a half in this game, is Michael Penix Jr. is their quarterback. He can sling it all over the place. He exposed MSU's defense when he was at Indiana in 2019 and 2020. This is a different Michigan State team now. The secondary was awful last year. We'll really see how they are this year. They've improved, but by how much? I mean, we'll find out. I like Michigan State in this game. Look for their run game. Jalen Berger, Jarek Broussard, two transfers. Uh, it's a good one-two punch at running back. Washington struggled against a run against Portland State last week. They won 52-6. to I think they gave up around 5.9 yards per carry, if I'm not mistaken. So Washington struggled against the run. So if Michigan State can get that run game going, settle in to that tough Husky Stadium environment, I like Michigan State to win this game. Brendan Moore of the Sideline Sports Network joining us with his picks for week three of college football. Brendan, really appreciate you taking the time, man. Enjoy the weekend of college football. We'll talk soon. Yep, thank you, Matt. There he goes, Brendan Moore. We'll take a time out, wrap up hour number one after this right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. They could debate who should win the MVP, but they'd rather argue who has the best hair in sports talk radio. We just washed the hair. You know, I worked on my hair a long time, and you, and you hit it. It hits my hair. Now back to more of the stylish crunch time with Miguez and Mash here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Don't hit my hair, James. Damn it. Crunch time. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, 55 after the hour. Got about two minutes left here in hour number one. So we haven't really gotten to talk a whole lot today. Uh, we were we, we had a lot of interviews to, to get to, a lot of great insight to get from around the world of sports. A couple of headlines that I'm, I'm just looking, and we'll dive deeper into them you know, at the beginning of hour number two. Jordan's last dance jersey got sold at, at an auction. How much? What would you think? Uh, it's got to be at least six figures, huh? Oh, it's more than six figures. Okay, so we're so is it more than seven? It, it's it's seven figures. Okay, so it is seven. Okay, four point three million dollars. Ten point one. What? You said it was seven figures? Yeah, so ten, eight figures. I'm okay, sorry. Thank you. Eight, <laughs> Jesus I'm sorry. Christ, Matt. I, I screwed you up. I, I can't math. I thought that was well documented. I'm not good at math. What do you mean? You said you're good at uh, your multiplication. It's your time tables. I've told you basic math problems. I can figure them out of my That's head. That's basic math. Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Okay. I don't. Oh. I failed college algebra. I don't want to hear it. I'm not good at math. So, yeah, his jersey from game one of the 1998 NBA Finals, $10.091 million. It is the most money ever paid for an item of sports memorabilia. 
That is absolutely insane. In hour number two, James and I will talk some more NFL. We'll talk more about the Chiefs and Chargers game tonight. We got some audio from Saints head coach Dennis Allen, and we'll be joined by Brian Peacock of the Peacock and Williamson show. Talk all things NFL, and we'll slowly start previewing week three of college football for the Cajuns, Tigers, and the McNeese Cowboys. We'll do that after this top of the hour sports update right here on the game. It's 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hour number two. On a Thursday afternoon, it's crunch time. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, and you right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Let's go quickly to the game. Hotline 706-0111. Bring in our guy, Martin. What's up, buddy? Appreciate you. Appreciate you. Wishing you many, 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 many of happy years. I appreciate that. Significant other one. But yeah, I I had to call in because I knew you were probably wondering. I wonder how Martin's feeling coming up that horrible performance. But I do. I was wondering. So I got an interesting stat for you. I don't know if you've seen it, but I came across it on Facebook and I just laughed. Did you know that? My Dallas Cowboys were the only team to not score a touchdown in the NFL in Week One. That's an impressive stat. Yeah, you should be proud. That's a, of, that's a be proud of, of that one. You're in a one of one club. Yeah, we're a one of one club, and our and our our whatever you want to call them, Dak Prescott got hurt. So I mean, shoot, at this point, I take him book. I mean, Cooper <laughs> Rush, really? Like, who is this cat? Never seen him. Never. I know he started a few games last season. Because surprise, surprise, uh, Dak Prescott was hurt again. But maybe we can just give up on the season, go get uh, Will uh, Will Anderson, or um, yeah, I even take uh, what's his name, uh, Bryce Young out of Alabama. I mean, we need to start all over. Get rid of Zeke. He's garbage. I hope you didn't <laughs> draft him in none of your fantasy leagues, did you? I didn't. Uh, I was I was kind of almost forced to with my dynasty league, but I got some other solid running backs to work with. Well, good luck on the whole two points he's going to give you every game. <laughs> so uh, maybe those will help you out a little bit. I mean, if you have some close games. But uh, but yeah, man, I just wanted to kind of chime in. You know, uh, my Dallas Cowboys is probably going to be the worst team in the league this year. So we knew we knew that before but, the season even started, Martin. 
Oh, yeah, I was even saying, I was like, and even if we would go on a winning streak, we're still going to make the playoffs and lose in the playoffs. So, I mean, what's you? I've been trying to tell y'all intern extraordinary moves. If I said, don't get your hopes up, buddy. I said, I'm a, I've been a lifelong Dallas Cowboys fan, but anybody at that radio station will tell you I'm a real Cowboys fan, and I don't <laughs> expect much out of them each and every year. You know what I mean? At least we had it somewhat of a chance, I guess, but... Like I said, there's always next year. Maybe we'll get us a, a better head coach, Sean Payton. I keep saying that. I think he's going to end up over there because he don't want to go to no no uh, Chargers team. They ain't got really nobody. But anyway, but uh, thanks for taking my call, buddy. Y'all have a good one. Appreciate you, Martin. I can't, I can't lie. That, that initial part. That was pretty convincing. <laughs> it, it was. It was. Cooper Rush. Woo! Well, you see, here's the thing. Here's the thing. What are Cowboys fans going to say? Let's say hypothetically Cooper Rush walks out on the field. What is it? Eight weeks? How long is that going to be out? Four to six? About that. Four to six? Yeah. I think it's four to six, maybe eight. Um, Watch Cooper Rush throw for like 1,500 yards, 14 touchdowns, and like four picks in that time frame. Are Cowboys fans going to be mad? I mean, watch watch Cooper Rush just go out there and ball. What are fans going to say then? Granted, I don't think it's going to happen. I think the Cowboys are an absolute joke without Dak Prescott. They're not much better with Dak Prescott. But the only team in the NFL to not score a touchdown. Yikes. That's brutal. That is almost as bad as the Falcons blowing a 26-10 to 10 lead. Yikes. That's a standard, though. That's a standard with the Falcons. So you almost expect it. Yeah. You expect the Cowboys to at least score a touchdown. I got a text message. Cooper Rush, the next Tom Brady. Very similar situation. That is true. Star quarterback goes down with an injury. A known backup comes in. I mean... Could could we could we be sitting here going CR fifty? Twenty something years from now when Cooper Rush is fifty years old and still slinging that around? <laughs> oh what, man. What number is Cooper? Uh sixteen, I believe. <laughs> CR sixteen? I believe number ten. Oh, CR ten. Number ten. The 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 quiet killer is what he's being referred to by some people. Interesting. Oh, Cooper Rush. CR10, baby. CR10. I got another text message. Dak is no Drew Bledsoe. Well, that's true. He is not Drew Bledsoe. Is he better, though? No shot, right? There's no shot Dak Prescott's a better quarterback than Drew Bledsoe was. I will never believe that for a second. Oh, man. The poor... It's it's crazy. I almost feel bad for the Cowboys. I almost feel bad for them. James is laughing about something. James, what's funny? Uh, JK had uh, sent a couple of memes to me and on Twitter. He said it was the one that we had. Se- I think we had seen in our uh, Crunch Time League chat. Mm-hmm. Breaking Cowboys announced new starting quarterback while Dak is sideline. Uncle Rico. I remember with a I remember with a draft how you know how 
you can do like the fantasy board and you do the stickers. Yeah. Well, we did we did that in 2020, and it was funny. They did a they did a few joke ones, and one of them was Uncle Rico, and one guy had left at a certain point. He was like, "Hey, just pick my last couple for me." So our last couple, we gave him. One of them was Uncle Rico. I forget what the other one was. But um, we gave him, we gave him a couple Rico. joke ones. It was, so it was like, okay, well, we kind of forced him to have a couple bench open bench spots to where he had to put him in, in himself. So that way we kind of had a little bit of an advantage. But it was like, that's what you get for leaving early. That's terrible. It was his last, it was his last two picks. It's not like it was a huge deal. But it was funny. So... Here's a, here's another topic of conversation that I want to get to, and it revolves, it involves the Saints and the Bucks. So the injury report came out today, and I, I'm gonna be honest, it makes me a little nervous, and it's probably why the Saints brought Latavius Murray back. Alvin Kamara is probably more hurt than we believe. That's what I thought when 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 you're bringing when you're bringing Latavius back, his who you know the system. It's not like it's some undrafted rookie, like maybe trying to elevate Abram Smith, right? Like if you're bringing in a veteran that played for you for a couple years, like Latavius did, and, right. and put in work for your team, that's a, that's a sign that oh, it's bad. That it, it's worse than people anticipated. And then here's the other thing that scares me. Yesterday, he was a limited participant. Today, all he did was stretch. He didn't even run drills. He was he did not participate. Paulson Adebo did not participate, although Paulson Adebo didn't participate yesterday, and he's not expected to play on Sunday. Uh, Marcus May went up to being a full participant. Calvin Throckmorton went up to being a full participant as well. Alante Taylor, Mark Ingram, Landon Young, Jameis Winston, Dwayne Washington, Traquan Smith, and Cam Jordan all participated in a limited capacity. And, you know, as much as the Alvin Kamara news worries me, what makes me feel a little bit better is that Julio Jones, Chris Godwin, and Mike Evans, none of them practiced today. None of them. And I I know that in most cases it could be a... Oh, you know, they're resting them. A precautionary a Precautionary measure. whatever. Look, with the way the NFL schedule works, if you don't practice on a Thursday, you, your chances of playing drop significantly. Your game time decision. Oh, yeah. If you don't practice on Thursday, you're, we're not going to know their status until an hour before kickoff. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what happens there. Leonard Fournette, limited participant, Tristan Wurst. A limited participant as well. Russell Gage went from do not did not participate yesterday to limited participation today. And you know it, this is always a fun matchup between the Saints and the Bucks because you know we we talked about it yesterday for the last couple of years now the Saints have just had Tom Brady's number and they have always found a way to just beat up on Tampa. But the question now becomes, is is when is Tom Brady going to say, okay, enough's enough, and just pull a 400-yard game out of him and you know, finally overcome the New Orleans Saints? 
James, do you see that happening this Sunday? To me, it's definitely a possibility because at this point, I know a lot of the national media still likes Brady and the Bucks in this game, and that's also why they're favored. But I almost feel like we may be kind of just chalking it up too early and just kind of putting it automatic as a, oh, they beat them the last four regular season games against Tom Brady and have won the last seven matchups against the Bucks. So you must be eight, but at the same time, you can't count it because at a certain point, the streak's going to end. And seven's a good bit of games that you've yep. won against a team in a row. Yep. So there is a good chance that even though the Bucks are injured just like the Saints, even though the Saints are at home, this could be one of those games. This is, this is it's definitely an interesting matchup, to say the least. Give me your pick for tonight. For tonight... I got to lean towards the Chiefs with this one. Yeah. You know, Pat- Patrick Mahomes, uh, as I've said it many times on this show, he's just He's proven it over special. and over again, whereas I love Justin Herbert. He's my twin, and I like the Chargers as a team. I know I, I, know I anticipate them being like 8-9, and nine, so just under 500, and then being last, so then they fire Brandon Staley, and I know they won last week, but... Like you had talked about earlier, and I and I even looked back at 2021, it was like, they had some great wins. They had some great wins, but then the next week, a lot of time... Really bad losses. Duds. It was like, like they had... Looking at week 18 last year, it was like week 17, they had a really good win, put themselves in a good chance to win, and or give themselves a playoff spot, and then they lose in overtime yep. to the Raiders. Yep. It was it, like, they, they lose constant heartbreakers, and this is going to be on a short schedule. They're going to be without Keenan Allen. Yeah. I like Mike I mean, Williams I, a lot, but I mean that's what I was just about to say. I don't, I don't think he's wide receiver one. You did pay him, you paid him this year, to, so he's got to prove himself. But I don't. And Eckler didn't have a great game last year. I mean, last week. No, it he wasn't. Didn't. It wasn't, wasn't great. great. So it feels like you maybe would lean on him, but you don't have a Jared Cook who could just like kind of explode for 100 yards randomly for a game and kind of just take the load while Keenan is off. You do have Gerald Everett though. You have Gerald Everett, but. I've never known Gerald Everett as that guy. It's true. He's a solid piece, but to take that kind of load and like make up for it, that's going to be tough. That's true. I, I remember when Gerald Everett thrashed the Cajuns a couple years ago. That was that was brutal. Uh, Martin texted me and said, to make things even worse, Scam Newton is being tied to the Cowboys. Heck to the no, 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 no Auburn Tigers on my Cowboys. Oh, Martin. Could could Cam Newton go to Dallas? Does Cam Newton have one more run in him? I don't think so. He may be good for that first game that he plays. Right. But then after Not consistently. that. But then after that, it's just going to fall off. Because you've seen it. When he takes time off and he comes back for a game or two, looks good, and then after that it falls. But it feels like... It, but it also sooner and sooner every but, time. But but also let's be let's be honest. Who the hell is Cooper Rush? Would a would a sixty percent Cam Newton be better than a one hundred percent Cooper Rush? I don't know. That's an interesting conversation. And you know the Dallas Cowboys could probably get him for next to nothing. I mean, obviously you're gonna have to pay him the vet minimum, but Cooper Rush is also more used to the offense. That's true. 
He's more used to the offense. And ex- experience is important. And it's not like you would have to completely change up your whole game plan for a guy who's still learning the system and only is played pretty much QB power yep. mo- most of his career. That's true. That's true. You would have to change it up a bunch. So it's like Cooper Rush isn't great, but it's, we're acting like Cam Newton's a better option. You might as well just stick with your guy. That's my thought. Don't go too far out when there's not much of a difference. Right. No, I get you. Time's running out for you to score tickets to see the Houston Astros live in person. Register in the Game Rewards Club to win four tickets to see Houston take on Tampa Bay Saturday, October 1st. And we'll even throw in a tour of Minute Maid Park and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. This is the last Astros weekend giveaway of the regular season. And Astros weekend getaways are powered by Butcher Air Conditioning, La Meridian Houston Downtown, and The Game. It's Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. We'll take a timeout when we return. We'll talk some more New Orleans Saints and bring you audio from the Saints head coach, Dennis Allen, right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Attention sports fans, your favorite sports book, BetUS.com, is back for its 28th year of NFL action. With the industry's biggest sign-up bonus of up to 200%, BetUS offers our members the opportunity to cash in on all your favorite leagues from the NFL, NBA, MLB, and more. Also, hundreds of new casino games, including the coolest European slots, live dealers waiting for you at the tables as well. You need a sports book with integrity and longevity, and you need to know that you're going to get paid. You need a sports book that offers everything from live betting to the MMA, golf, horses, esports, and all kinds of crazy bets. Call today at 1-800-79-BET-US. That's 1-800-79-BET-US, and their staff will walk you through setting up an account. Nobody in the industry gives better bonuses than BetUS. Join now and mention KLWB to get up to 200% in bonuses on your first deposit. Head to BetUS.com to join today. That's BetUS, where the games begin. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, 23 minutes after the hour, here on your Thursday. Jarvis Landry, Demario Davis, Latavius Murray, Jameis Winston, and Trey Swilling all met with the media yesterday. Uh, no Dennis Allen to, to, to hear from today. And uh, Jameis Winston was was compared a little bit to Tom Brady and was asked the question, do you see yourself playing until you're 45? I hope, I hope so. You know, I, hope, I hope to do that. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that, you know, he has set that standard. Uh, but, you know, there's it, been a lot of quarterbacks play for a long time, you know. Yeah, my, Steve DeBerg played for a long time, man. I don't even know who Steve DeBerg is. Some of y'all might know. But he played for Warren Moon played for a long time, you know. I think Brady just he he's he's maintained that level of excellence for over an extended period of time and uh it's crazy. You know, people don't know Warren Moon, if you take his stats from Canadian Football League, oh you probably ain't talking about a lot of these cats. Uh he was he was amazing. So this game is we're all fortunate to be able to play this game. Uh some of some of us, you know, have more successful careers, but all of us are so thankful that we get the opportunity to, to to lace them up and go out there in front of our fans and interact with you guys and, and do what we do because it's, it's truly a blessing and a privilege. Famous Jameis, the LASIK laser, all the all the nicknames that, that you want to give him. He also spent some time talking about the defense of his opponent, Levante David, Devin White, Sean Murphy, Bunting, and many more superstars on that Bucks defense. 
I think they got big long corners. I think Carlson Davis is an amazing corner. Uh, he's a he's smart, savvy, uh, and just very efficient with his feet. I think uh, their defense, their, their, their DB coach, Coach Rock, does a great job preparing them in terms of leverage and, and what they're gonna see. Uh, so I think just their whole defense is in sync. Uh, I think Coach Bowles. I mean, even when I was there, Coach Bowles changed that defense around and, and got them playing together. And uh, when you have you know a great corner in Carlton and you have a, a, a great uh, nickel and safety in Anton Whitfield. You know, you got guys at every level that can make plays. So you got to be prepared to play your best game. Jarvis Landry, who really showed out in his Saints debut, seven catches, 114 yards, and really put the Saints in position to make some big plays down that back stretch. He was asked about the late surge in points on Sunday, scoring 17 unanswered to beat the Falcons. I mean, the urgency was there. You know, we, you know, it was it was all or nothing at that point. You know, for us, and you know, we begin a two minute get into a two minute type of offense. Um, again, like I said, guys started, you know, begin to make plays. And we were able to push the ball down the field, get some catching runs, and you know, before you know, it, we were scoring points and defense was getting us the ball back. James, give me your thoughts on Latavius Murray being back in the black and gold. Oh, I'm so glad my buddy's back. He's not currently on the active roster, but with oh, how it's been going, he might be soon. He might be elevated. I might get a chance to ask him a question. Oh God! <laughs> I might you're, be... you're so excited that you're going to be a media member on Sunday. I am. It'll be my first Saints game as a media member. You're so excited. Were you not excited for your first Cajuns game as a media member? No, I was. Okay, I was. And I'm excited. So why are you coming at me sideways? And I'm excited for my first LSU game as a media member on Saturday. Might ruffle some feathers there. We, we might have to, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, you bleed purple and gold, so you're fine. We might have to de-escalate that situation on Monday. <laughs> but uh, you know, Trey Swilling also met with the media, being signed to the team in and the uniform that his father wore so well. Trey talked about the feeling of playing for his dad's old team. It's super incredible. You can't really find the words to describe how it feels, how it make you feel inside. Like just me, you know, being my family, being around. You know, I went to Georgia Tech and I went to um, Tennessee and played. So I've never been here playing football since my days at Brother Martin. So not being here and then it's a good time for my family. Like everyone's having babies and kids. So I miss so much of that. Part of just sacrificing, trying to get you know to the next level, not being able to be here and being a part of it. You know, my oldest niece is one, and then we have like three coming up. We just had another one two months ago. We have one coming up next month, another one coming up two months after that. So it's like I'm in here, perfect timing. It's truthfully amazing. I wish I could find better words to describe it. Trace Willing also talked about, you know, does it mean more to him to wear this uniform than maybe a different NFL uniform, knowing that his father Pat Swilling wore it so well for sure I think I mean I would I would be lying if I said I didn't you know that's kind of the same responsibility I kind of took when I went to Georgia Tech um, and truthfully that decision wasn't even guaranteed you know my dad didn't push me to go there it ended up happening but it's, it's different when you walk in the hall and every time I see them 56 and and I'm looking I'm kind of like I need to get somewhere up here I need to do something you know I want to have goals and stuff that I want to accomplish and I realized that have big shoes to fill but that's been like that my whole life you know so it's nothing to shy away from but it definitely means a little bit more I'm a part of, you know, regardless of where I was at, I was still was going to be able to watch Saints game. You know what I mean? I still was going to be watching and kind of hoping unless we play them. And I'm kind of like, all right, they got to lose. But now I'm here, so now it's like 
it's everything is just working the way it needs to work. Lastly, Latavius Murray met with the media and he discussed a couple of things, being grateful to be back, being ready if his name is called. But one of the, one of the most intriguing questions that was asked is, are there any regrets with how the recent or, or the previous split with the Saints went? Yeah, no regrets. Uh, how I look at it is a business. We all know that. And, you know, they were making a decision that they felt they had to make, and I made a decision that I felt I had to make. So you can't take things personal at all. And uh, end of the day, when uh, when that phone rang, it was them that called to give me this opportunity, nobody else. So I'm appreciative. I'm grateful to them and, uh, and happy to be here. Make sure to join RP3 and the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, tomorrow from noon till 1 at the Cigar Merchant at 1001 Coolidge Street in the Oil Center. Register to spin the prize wheel for a chance to score a pair of Raging Cajuns football tickets and a pair of LSU Tiger football tickets. So make sure this Friday that you swing by the Cigar Merchant in the Oil Center, CRP3, swing the prize wheel, and score free tickets to see either the Cajuns or the Tigers in person. We'll take a time out when we return. Brian Peacock of the Peacock and Williamson Show will join us. We'll preview tonight's game, and we will start talking about the big weekend matchups in the NFL. You won't want to miss it. It's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana's sports station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Had a rough day at work. Got lady problems. Not to worry, because you have two wingmen right here. You can be my wingman anytime. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Rocking and rolling here on a Thursday afternoon. Crunch time. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. 35 after the hour, we're joined by Brian Peacock of Peacock and Williamson to talk all things NFL. Brian, thanks for taking the time, man. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I'm super pumped that there's actually games to talk about now. We talked about so much over the course of the offseason, and now they are upon us. I've got a good one coming up tonight as well. Yeah, no, no question about it, and we're definitely going to start there, you know, the, the big storyline for this game tonight between the Chiefs and the Chargers is the fact that Justin Herbert will be without Keenan Allen. How does how much does this Keenan Allen injury affect the Chargers tonight now that Mike Williams is going to have to step up and be wide receiver one? Yeah, I, I think it's important. I think it's always important when you have that type of receiver. We saw it with, with Aaron Rodgers in week one. When you lose somebody that's that important and maybe – you know, Keenan Allen isn't quite at the Devontae Adams level of, of play, but man, it's to have that security blanket, have that guy where you know he can get open uh, on those those plays where you really need it, you know exactly where he's going to be, so savvy as a route runner, um, and can come down with the ball and make key plays for you. It's got to hurt, but at the same time, I've seen what Justin Herbert has done, not only since he's been in the NFL, but against the Kansas City Chiefs specifically. I mean, he's lit up the Chiefs ever since he became a pro. He's almost 1,200 yards in four games against the Chiefs, 2-0 and against them last year. So um, I think he's absolutely up to the challenge. I can't wait for this game tonight. It should be a shootout. And uh, the NFL knows what they're doing when they're scheduling these early season Thursday night games this year. Oh, yeah. And looking at the Chiefs, they did trade Tyreek Hill over the offseason, but did pick up receivers like Juju Smith-Schuster and Marquez Valdez-Scantling to kind of combine and replace the production that Hill had. Do you think that getting those receivers is 
kind of more of a band-aid or do you see that of them working and it being more of a long-term thing and they just spread it out more? Yeah, I think that's a big part of it long-term and I think you have to because what wide receivers are getting paid nowadays and when you end up paying your quarterback that much and they've got to pay a lot of guys on the defensive side of the ball and they've prioritized offensive line you got to go a little bit cheaper somewhere so I think it's going to be patchwork receivers and when you have a superstar quarterback I think that's sort of the the scenario that the Chiefs are in right now and they think look we have a quarterback that's that good Uh, I think we can pay less for our wide receiver group and we should be good there and I was a little bit worried about that coming into the season seeing how they diced up the Arizona Cardinals in week one you know, made those fears sort of disappear a little bit. Now the the Chargers are a lot better on defense. They have that pass rush, and I'm man, Bosa and, and Khalil Mack are dynamic. So uh, to be honest with you, when, when it comes to Patrick Mahomes, I'm not too worried about his receivers. I'm a little bit more worried about that pass rush coming after him. And they've got a good offensive line there in Kansas City, so they can get him blocked up. Uh, I think it'll be business as usual, and and he's going to be totally fine with whoever he's throwing the ball to. Brian, for the game tonight, the spread jumped from the Chiefs being a three-point favorite to them being a four-and-a-half-point favorite. Two-parter here, are you hammering the Chiefs at that line, and how much do you think the Keenan Allen injury played into that? Yeah, I think it absolutely did, um, and I just think once people saw how the Chiefs looked in week one, being at home, you know, it's always a tough place to play. That's why that line is moved. I actually don't love the line now that it's moved for the Chiefs. I would probably take the points and take the Chargers just because I think the Chargers are such a complete team, and they've played really well against the Kansas City Chiefs. So um, that, that's why this game is so intriguing to me. Once it got too far over a field goal to me, I think I'm going to take the points there. Um, and uh, and I'm pretty bullish on what the the Los Angeles Chargers can be this year, even without Keenan and Allen, because I mean Justin Herbert can just can make plays and, and he'll find his receivers. Guys like Palmer can step up. Um, he's got Eckler coming out of the backfield, and you know big plays to Mike Williams as well. So I think I think they're going to be fine on offense without Keenan and Allen. Although that does hurt a little bit. Looking away from the game tonight and looking at your 49ers and how you cover Trey Lance. What have been your thoughts on the whole San Francisco QB situation? Uh, it's It's been a wild ride, and, and really for someone who covers the 49ers, it's been the gift that keeps on giving because there's always something to talk about. Even on the slowest of slow days in the offseason, it's pretty amazing. Um, but at this point, uh, it's really a non-story as far as Jimmy G. He's the backup Jimmy G will not play unless Trey Lance gets hurt. Now, Trey Lance would have to have a prolonged stretch of really, really bad play, I think, for the 49ers to go back to Jimmy Garoppolo because they know that it's going to be a work in progress. And the last bit of Trey Lance's development has to be getting reps on the field because it's the one thing he doesn't have. And they know that coming in. So um, you can't bail out on that early. But if they look at the season in a few weeks, and look, they're only 3-5 and five last year, and there was talk that maybe the 49ers should bench Jimmy Garoppolo for the rookie. So, you know, they've been through this, and, and Kyle Shanahan was patient with Jimmy G, and I'm sure he'll be patient this year, and he's preached that patience with with Trey Lance. But, man, it's been, a, it's been a crazy ride. And when you watch Trey Lance play in week one, there was some really good to go along. You look at his line, and it doesn't look great, and they ended up getting beat. But that was more about the uh, the defense giving up a couple of big plays and then the monsoon really hitting in the fourth quarter so there's really no way to to throw and come back in that football game for the 49ers but Trey Lance threw some dimes that are just great throws that were among some of the best throws there was a uh, a deep crosser he threw in between three defenders to uh, Ray Ray Armstrong 
And I mean, it's just a, it's a dime that a big time quarterback can make. So you see those throws and you realize that there's something there that's worth developing. And it would just be a disaster for the 49ers to move off of him, even if he doesn't look great in the early going, because you know there's going to be some ups and downs with Trey Lance, but what he could be at the end of it is what you're really excited about. So uh, I can't wait to see how he develops here. But, you know, right now it's you have no idea. have no idea how he's going to end up looking, and uh, that, that makes it a lot of fun, makes it a little bit, uh, maybe just a little bit worrisome for some 49ers fans, though. Chat with Brian Peacock of the Peacock and Williamson show here on Crunch Time. You know, you talked about the, the rain Sunday, and, and there were videos of the field just being soaking wet. Uh, do, you, do you think at any point the league should have stepped in and, and maybe either postponed the game or, or figured out a way to, you know, because you, 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 you started putting players' health at risk. Yeah, it's hard. I don't think so. I think there's been worse weather, and I think football is a sport that you've got to be able to play in bad weather. And to be honest, I think most players would rather slosh around in water or a muddy field or snow than play on uh, you know some of these turf fields that are so sticky that when you get your feet stuck in them, that's when things like ACLs and big-time injuries happen. So I don't think it's that big of a problem, and you've got to be able to win in so many different ways. And what's crazy for Trey Lance is you know he played in North Dakota State, but they play in a dome. They play at the Fargo Dome. So I, I, he might not have ever played a game in rain before. And by the way, there is some rain on the forecast for the 49ers at home this week, which is funny. So now he's got that game out of the way, but that's the thing with Trey Lance. Everything's new. He's, got, he's had so few reps. Uh, not only in his pro career, but in his life. He had the one season of, of starting play in college. So um, he, he just needs those reps. He needs to learn how to win in the rain. He needs to learn how to face different coverages. And, and uh, a lot of stuff is, is really new for the young man. But he's so talented, and he's he's so mature for 22 years old, too. That's that's why I think I'm most bullish on what Trey Lance can be, because he doesn't seem like the type that's going to fold under this pressure. One more Niners question before we get back to the league as a whole. Elijah Mitchell, former Louisiana Raging Cajun, goes down with a with a sprained MCL. He's out eight weeks. How do the Niners kind of combat that injury now that you know Mitchell had really stepped up to be an RB one for the Niners? Yeah, and I think he was the clear RB one for the 49ers. He's so much more explosive than the other backs on the roster. The the rest of the the running backs before they brought in Marlon Mack this week are more of the you know the bigger body. Uh, brute force variety. Justin or Jeff Wilson is going to get the the first crack at things, but I really think he's more of a number two type of a back. So I think the dark horses in this race are the rookies. And, and Ty Davis Price was inactive in week number one because as running back three, he doesn't play special teams like undrafted rookie Jordan Mason does. So Mason was was active instead of Ty Davis Price, which surprised a lot of people. But don't be shocked if this week Ty Davis Price now has that path to be active and actually uh, leapfrogs back over Jordan Mason and is the number two back. And uh, Jordan Mason, I loved what I saw from him. He ran hard in the preseason. So don't be shocked at all if, if one of the rookies, Ty Davis Price or Jordan Mason, ends up being sort of this year's version of what Elijah Mitchell was last year, at least until Mitchell gets back. Now, keeping it within the state of California, looking at the L.A. Rams and that Stafford injury, Stafford injury do you think that's going to be a season-long issue? It sounds like it. It sounds like it's a little bit serious because it's gotten so much play and even, you know, the the head coach has acknowledged it. So there's definitely something going on there. 
And um, the, the Rams are built in such a way with their roster, and I kind of call it a stars and scrubs roster. It's not fair to the uh, the depth on their roster because they have some really good depth and some good players there as well. But man, it, it's that you're teetering on the edge. And with Jalen Ramsey, the way he played, if he is maybe not the shutdown guy he once was, and it's it's all about Aaron Donald and. Uh, and Matthew Stafford. If one of those guys goes down, that could really derail your season just the way the, the Los Angeles Rams are built. So I think that's a big deal. And, and if it continues to affect Matthew Stafford, who's been somebody who's you know, thrown the ball to the other team in, in his career, and uh, a lot of what he can do is, is based on that Howard serve an arm he's always had. If, if that starts to wane a little bit, you do start to get a little bit worried about the Rams this year. Out of all the games in Week 1, Brian, which one shocked you the most? I would say probably, I think it was the two revenge games, the the Baker Mayfield and the Panthers. I thought it was perfectly set up for them to go beat the, the the Cleveland Browns, and I think it was a really good sign for the Browns that Jacoby Brissett and you know the rest of the talent on that roster, and they do have a pretty good roster outside of quarterback, uh, were able to withstand that, and, and it looks like they're going to be at least okay and competitive until Deshaun Watson gets back, which is a good sign. And you know that little that dark cloud that's been over the organization, at least in week one, didn't affect them. Uh, and then the other revenge game, the Russell Wilson game, uh, the, the Seahawks, I think, were the biggest surprise. They're the only team that won in the NFC West last week, and everybody was already burying the Seahawks. I had seen people put. Uh, the Seahawks drafting number one overall in their 2023 mock drafts. And, I, you know, Pete Carroll's too good of a coach. Um, uh, Geno Smith looked much more comfortable and confident as a starting quarterback than I expected. And they do have some talent throughout the roster. I don't know if they're actually going to be able to compete and be a playoff team or anything like that, but I think their demise might have been a little bit exaggerated this year. Now, what are you looking forward to in Week 2 in these slate of games? Obviously, Thursday night football is going to be fantastic. Uh, I think one team that, and look, this is week two. It's really early to say this, but I, I think it's almost a must-win situation for the Las Vegas Raiders right now. They can't start going two games behind some of these teams in the AFC West because that division is just too good. And if you want to be a playoff team, you're 0-2, and you're looking up at you know teams that are 2-0. and uh, That's going to be very difficult to overcome. So um, the, the Las Vegas Raiders need to figure out who they are and, you know, it's it's great to have Devontae Adams putting up fantasy football numbers, but you need to be able to win football games. And, and I'm worried that they're not going to be able to compete this year in that division. So uh, I think that game's really important. I think the most exciting game to me, it's just interesting to figure out who these teams are, is the Miami Dolphins, who might be someone to reckon with this year, and I think have clearly, clearly leapfrogged the uh, – the New England Patriots in that division, and who knows, maybe could compete with the Buffalo Bills for the top spot in the AFC East. Uh, I like their team's speed uh, against the Baltimore Ravens, who just were the most unlucky team in the NFL last year. And Lamar Jackson in a playoff in a uh, a contract year—that's that's a little bit scary. So you know, you need someone like Rashad Bateman to step up and be a star receiver for them, and and to get a little bit uh, healthier at running back because obviously they want to run the ball as much as anybody in the league. But the Baltimore Ravens, I think, are one of the sneaky best teams in the NFL right now. So that's a really big-time game this week for me, the, uh, the the Dolphins at the Ravens. Brian, a short while ago, the it was announced that J.C. Jackson will play tonight for the Chargers, making his Chargers debut. Give me your thoughts on that news. 
That's big time. I love it. And to, to be honest with you, if you said, okay, you could only have one of Keenan Allen or J.C. Jackson, I might choose J.C. Jackson if you're taking on the Kansas City Chiefs because I think you're going to be able to muster enough offense, but you've got to be able to cover. And you don't know who exactly is going to be getting the ball now in this offense. And I think that might be to the Kansas City Chiefs' benefit in some cases because you can't, like, bracket Tyreek and, and really uh, slow that thing down. So um, uh, I think that's really exciting for the uh, for the – the Los Angeles Chargers, and I can't wait to see how that benefits. And you know, maybe you, in those those cover corners and the uh, the defensive ends there just a symbiotic relationship. You know, so uh, the the pass rush gets there, shortens up the the, the time that the uh, the cover guys need to cover. If the cover guys cover an extra half second longer, then it gives a little bit more time for uh, Joey Bosa and Cleo Mack to get home. So uh, this is going to be a fantastic game on Thursday. And J.C. Jackson's huge getting him back for the Los Angeles Chargers. And then lastly, here in Louisiana, what do you expect from the Saints-Bucks game on Sunday? To be honest with you, the Saints are probably the hardest team for me to figure out in the NFL this year because they have talent and they have some clear holes on their roster. And, uh, you know, they, they brought the coordinators back, but no Sean Payton. How important is Sean Payton? How important was he to the success of the Saints, and I think he was so important. And to see them come out and almost get beat by the Falcons, who have no business competing with them, and I know it's a, a division matchup, and those things tend to be a little bit closer than some people expect. But um, I'm a little bit worried about the Saints just because if 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 Sean without Sean Payton, if they just don't have that magic they once did, um, that worries me a little bit. I've never been super impressed by. Jameis Winston as a quarterback that's just going to put a team on his back and lead them to you know deep into the playoffs or anything. But it's a good roster and they should be competitive. But do they have enough to really battle with a team like the Bucks and some of the best teams in the NFC? I'm not so sure. So uh, that, that's a fascinating team to me. And um, but man, if you can get after Tom Brady, especially up the middle, they've had so many injuries on the offensive line. It's, it certainly is a winnable game. If you can uh, follow that script and pressure Tom Brady, but you know it always sounds nice, and then Tom Brady comes out and dices you up. So uh, yeah, it's going to be a fun one as well on Sunday. Brian Peacock of Peacock and Williamson joining us here on Crunch Time. Brian, really appreciate you taking the time. Great work on your insight into the NFL, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, my friend. Yeah, anytime. Thanks for having me on. Take a time out. Wrap up today's show after this right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. One of the things I love about betting on the NFL is that I'm always finding new players or game props I like. And what's cool about FanDuel Sportsbook is you can combine these prop bets and other bets with the same game to score an even bigger payout. Perfect for tonight's game. Give me the over on 54.5 total points scored, Mike Williams to score a touchdown, and for the first drive to result in a punt. Same game parlays is just one of the reasons why I bet with FanDuel. Live betting is easy to place your bet fast during a game if you see a trend you like. And my friends love betting on FanDuel Sportsbook, the America's number one sportsbook. There's no better place than nailing a same game parlay bet. So lock in your bet today with FanDuel Sportsbook. Right now, new customers get up to $1,000 back in free bets if your first bet doesn't win with promo code KLWB. That's promo code KLWB. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. You must be 21 and older and present in Louisiana. Permitted parishes only. First online real money wager only. $10 first, $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable free bets that expire 14 days after the receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. And if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-877-770-STOP. Less than a minute here on Crunch Time. I want to take this opportunity to thank Brendan Moore of the Sideline Sports Network 
former LSU head baseball coach Paul Maneri, and of course Brian Peacock of Peacock and Williamson for joining us today. I want to thank the callers that, that called in here on this Thursday edition of Crunch Time. Tomorrow is a Friday fun show, high school football edition, which means we're going to sit down with Jake Crane to do Jake's Takes. And we've got some other interesting guests up our sleeve for the fun show. For James Mesh, I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe, be well, give a hug to your mom and them, and we'll see you tomorrow right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Brian Kelly Coach's Show coming up at 7 o'clock.